Good evening, everyone. My name's Joe. That's the easiest name ever, right? Uh, but my last name, yes, it's Guglielmo, and if you have to say it, I'll give you a little hint on how to do it. You've got to take your hand and go like this, because I'm Italian, and you go, Guglielmo. See, you guys got it. Or just call me Joe. It's much easier. This evening, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. We're going to look at this topic, the cure for bitterness. And I know some of you are thinking, what in the world am I doing here tonight? Bitterness, come on. You're probably nudging your spouse. I told you to sit in the back so we can get out of here. But hang on. Don't be bitter about this, right? I think the Lord has something to say to us. Obviously, when I put studies together, the studies are always for me. And you guys just get to listen in to what the Lord is showing me. And over the last uh, couple years, we've had so, uh, some false doctrine brought into the church by people that were, some that were leaders within the church, others who have been Christians for a number of years and knew better, uh, caused a lot of division, caused a lot of problems. And it would have been real easy for me to get bitter. And the Lord has been showing me over and over, and I, I'm just having to deal with another issue this past uh, week and again, what is the topic that the Lord has me teach on is bitterness. It's a, I think as we go through the scriptures, the Bible challenges us to live out our faith. It's not just a book. The Bible's living, it's powerful, and it changes our lives. You know, sometimes we're in church and we go, oh, I wish so-and-so were here because they needed to hear that message. But the reality is we're here and this is the message we need to hear. And praise God for that, that he cares so much for us. You know, God doesn't go, you know, I've been putting up with Joe for a long time, and that guy just doesn't get it. I'm done with him. He doesn't say that. In fact, the songs we sang tonight I thought were so appropriate. You know, the, the work that he begins in us, he's going to complete. God is working in our lives. And I love that about our God. He doesn't give up. And there is a cure for bitterness if we're willing to listen, if we're willing to apply that to our lives. And let's face it, I think we all deal with bitterness. It's one of those sins that as we allow into our lives, it kind of eats at us. It consumes us. And then, you know, we get angry and maybe there's jealousy and hatred and self-pity. We become unteachable. And there's maybe even vindictiveness having a desire for revenge or arrogance and so on. So it's something that needs to be dealt with, otherwise the Lord wouldn't have it in his word. I'll just share this story with you. It was about Captain Ahab and the dev devastating effects of bitterness in his life. I mean, we know Herman uh, Melville's character, Ca Captain Ahab in Moby Dick, and we're told for long months of days and weeks, Ahab and anguish lay stretched together in one hammock, rounding in midwinter that dreary, howling, Pentagonian cape. Then it was that his torn body and gashed soul bled into one another, and so intensifying made him mad. And, obviously, we know the story. He was, Ahab was fitted with a peg leg, but there was no prosthesis for his soul. And he had this hate within him. And he set his face to search out and destroy Moby Dick. And it didn't matter what the cost was. He fitted a ship, hired a crew, mounted a voyage of vengeance, and it led to his death. The destruction of the ship, the loss of all of his men except one, Ishmael, who lived to tell the story. And I think that's true of our own lives. As Christians, we have to be careful that we don't become shipwrecked by allowing bitterness to grow in our lives. Because, again, like I've said, there is a cure for it. 
You know, one person said, no matter how long you nurse a grudge, it won't get better. Yeah, you don't nurse a grudge. That's, that's the wrong attitude. You don't nurse bitterness. You crucify it. That's part of the flesh. And our study this evening comes out of Exodus chapter 15. And as you know, Moses, by the power of God, has delivered the children of Israel from their bondage in Egypt. They were in Egypt for 430 years, with 400 of those years as slaves, serving with rigor. And God sent Moses to deliver them out of that bondage and bring them into the promised land. But before Pharaoh would let them go, it took ten devastating plagues, the last one being the death of the firstborn in all of Egypt, including the animals. And the only way the angel of death would pass over a home was if the blood of the lamb was applied to the door of their home. Now, for the children of Israel, they obeyed the Lord and were spared from this plague. But for the Egyptians, in Exodus 12, verses 29 and 30, it says, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. So with the death of Pharaoh's only son, he drives the children of Israel out of the land, and they're free now. And as they journey toward Mount Sinai or the mountain of God in Saudi Arabia, the Lord brings them to the Gulf of Aqaba with mountains on either side of them. And it's not such a big deal except for the fact that Pharaoh, 600 of his finest chariots, and according to Josephus, 250,000 soldiers are coming back for their slaves. You know, Pharaoh thought about it and goes, you know what, we lost all our slaves. This isn't good. Now we're going to have to do the work. Let's go back and get them. And keep in mind, the children of Israel were not soldiers. They didn't have, you know, swords and shields. They were slaves, and they were leaving the land of Egypt. And now the children of Israel are trapped. The Red Sea in front of them, mountains on either side, and now Pharaoh and his army coming behind. And this is what they said. Because there was no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. I mean, not exactly examples of faith here. They were bitter at Moses. They were mad at him. Now, Yes, the children of Israel saw the mighty hand of God upon the Egyptians, how God delivered them from their bondage in Egypt. It was great. That was awesome. That was so amazing. God is so good, right? Praise the Lord. And then there's the but. And that's always a problem for us. It gets in the way. And the children of Israel, they see the dust of the chariots, uh, that the chariots were kicking up. They see the dust the soldiers were making as they were marching. And now all was bad. What was the problem here? They took God out of the picture. They just looked at it from a human perspective. We're doomed. How are we going to fight these guys? But we kind of do the same thing. You know, things are going well, and God is great, man. We're praising him. Praise the Lord. God is so awesome. Look at all these wonderful things that we have. The situation changes, and then our attitude towards God changes because of it. 
First of all, we have to ask ourselves some questions here. Did the Lord tell the children of Israel to leave Egypt? Absolutely. I mean, in fact, they cried out to God. God sent them a deliverer. He brought them out of Egypt. If God did that, don't you think he'll see them through to the promised land no matter what may come upon them, what may come their way? Of course he will. And and that's something that we have to remember as well. All the promises of God, do we really believe them? We should. Or what happens is we can then become angry or bitter. And that's not a good thing. And especially towards God. God, how could you allow this to happen? And I'm sure we all could you know, have stories of things that we're going through right now or have gone through that are very difficult. There may be job situations or family situations, marriages, uh, health issues. And it's really easy to get mad at God, you know. Oh, God, look, I'm serving you, and this is what you do to me. Does God do things to punish us or to hurt us? Absolutely not. He loves us too much. He's our Heavenly Father. So we're missing the picture here. You know, just like the children of Israel. They were complaining, look, Moses, you brought us here to die in the wilderness? And what does the Lord tell Moses? Moses, stretch out your hand over the Red Sea. And it opened up for them, and they crossed over on dry land. You think, man, that's amazing. Think about it. Walls of water maybe some 1,000 feet up in the air. They're walking through, it says, on dry land. God dried it up for them. Why? Because it's easier to walk than walking in mud, right? And they made this journey to the other side. And the Egyptians, they're still coming after them. And as they're in pursuit of the children of Israel... God kind of put them in the dark until they were safe on the other side, the children of Israel. And here's Pharaoh and his army now. They're in the middle of the Red Sea. And God loosened the bolts on their chariot or whatever they used to hold the wheels on. Some of them were falling off. And all of a sudden, the waters come crashing down. You know, I'm sure they were thinking, man, let's get out of here. They should have thought about that after the ten plagues and really after the first plague. But Pharaoh and his whole army are destroyed. And we see the response then in Exodus 14, verses 30 and 31, of the children of Israel to this great victory. It says, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. God is good, right? That's what they're thinking, man. So as chapter 15 opens up on the heel of this great, great victory, Moses sang a song of victory brought about by Yahweh. And I'll share just a few verses here um, in Exodus 15, starting in verse 1. This is the song that Moses sang. He said that Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. And jump down down to verse 18. 
The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Again, God is good, isn't he? Look at what he did. And it's great. You know, you think about it, man, all these victories that they're seeing, they're seeing the hand of God. This is something that no man could have done. And so nothing's going to stop them. I mean, they're singing this amazing song. God is reigning forever and ever. He's, his reign is eternal. No one's going to stop us. Well, unless they don't walk by faith, unless they take their eyes off of God, you see, that's what we're going to look at here. Look at in uh, Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22, as we look at this cure for bitterness. We're told this. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went there three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Now, what I find interesting here is on the heels of this great victory over the Egyptian army, which, I mean, had to be amazing. I mean, I'm amazed when I watch, you know, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, okay? Can you imagine being actually there, seeing this? It had to affect their lives. And now, three days later, oh, great, no water. Thanks a lot, Moses. Now we're in trouble. We're going to die out here. They already forgot three days. That's all it took. That's pretty incredible. I mean, from a human perspective, and please, I, I, I'm not trying to negate this, you know, maybe the two to three million people, right? And no water. I mean, it's not like you can go to Piggly Wiggly and say, you know, I need water for two to three million people. They'll laugh at you, but they didn't even have an option. They're in the middle of a desert. And they find these waters of Mara. And probably when they saw the water, I mean, they probably were pretty excited. So maybe some jumped in. And then they tasted the water, and it was bitter. Wow. And instead of bringing their request before the Lord, Lord, you know we need water to survive all these people, what did they do? They didn't wait. They didn't bring it before the Lord. They didn't wait upon the Lord. They complained because these waters were bitter. And that's a problem. The, the name Mara does mean bitterness. And what I find interesting is Moses was a man of faith. Was he a perfect man? Absolutely not, because there are none. <clears throat> but Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord told Moses to take the tree 
and cast it into the waters, and those bitter waters will be made sweet. They'll be healed. Now think about that. It makes no sense. What do you mean? Take a tree, put it in the middle of the water, and it's going to make those bitter waters sweet again. But he had to walk by faith. This is what the Lord said. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hands, and the seas were parted. So for Moses, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. And that's exactly what happened. The waters were healed. You think, well, what does that have to do in my life today as a Christian? How can I apply this to my own life, my own walk with the Lord? Well, here's the thing. If there's a, a, even a root of bitterness in your life, if you find yourself in bitter situations, if you find yourself in a bitter relationship, you need to do what the Lord told Moses to do. Take the tree and place it in the middle of those waters, those situations, and those bitter waters will be made sweet again. You think, well, what is he talking about? Well, here's the thing. When God tells Moses to place a tree in the middle of those waters, what tree is he talking about? I think this is the cross of Calvary. You put it right in the middle of those that bitterness in your life. And those bitter waters can be made sweet. Because Jesus has a way of taking what's bitter and adding sweetness to it, doesn't he? I can, again, just tell you from personal experience. I mean, I had one of my elders get into some really bad teaching, false doctrine, and he was promoting it in the church. And when I confronted him and the other people involved in this, he was pretty mad at me. He took... His keys threw him on the ground. He was, he was pretty, I've never seen him that mad before. And he ended up leaving the church. But what is amazing to me, because I had to be really careful here, that I didn't allow bitterness to grow in my life to the point where I just pushed people away, became angry at them, retaliating or whatever. God brought healing to that relationship. And I'm amazed. I don't know why I am. But, you know, I wonder if Moses was ever amazed. Stretch out your hands. This Red Sea's going to open up. Wow. Place the tree in the middle of those waters. It'll make those bitter waters sweet. Wow. And that's how I am. I don't know if that's how you are. But aren't you amazed at what God can do? We should be. I mean, it should be so exciting to us. You know, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.24 who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. In fact, the Amplified Bible puts it like this. He personally bore our sins in his own body on the tree, as on an altar, and offered himself on it, that we might die, cease to exist to sin, and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's what God has done in our lives. He took our sins, and gave us his righteousness, now are we going to live accordingly? The cross of Christ should bring healing into our lives. That bitterness should be removed from our lives if we're willing to surrender to Jesus. Put the cross in the middle of the situation we're facing because it changes everything. 
See, God can do that. There's a story of this embittered woman, Charlotte Elliott, of Brighton, England, and her health was broken, her disability had hardened her, and illness can do that. She said, if God loved me, he would not have treated me this way. And hoping to help her, a Swiss minister named uh, Dr. Caesar Mallon visited the Elliots on May 9th, 1822. And over dinner, Charlotte lost her temper and rallied against God and family in a violent outburst. Her family was so embarrassed, they left the room. And Dr. Mallon, left alone with her, stared at her across the table. You are tired of yourself, aren't you? He said at length. You're holding to your hate and anger because you have nothing else in the world to cling to. Consequently, you have become sour, bitter, resentful. What is your cure, she asked. The faith you're trying to despise. And as they talked, she softened her heart. If I wanted to become a Christian and to share the peace and joy you possess, what would I do? What a great question. Give yourself to God. Repent of your sins. And she said, I would come to God just as I am. Is that right? And she did. Her heart was changed that day. And as time passed, she found and claimed John 6.37 as a special verse for her. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Don't you love that? You know, God doesn't say, well, you know, I kind of looked at you over. Yeah, I don't think I want you. No. Whoever comes to him, praise God. Several years later, her brother, Reverend Harry Elliott, was raising funds for a school for the children of poor clergymen. And she wrote a poem, and it was printed and sold across England. The leaflet said, sold for the benefit of St. Margaret's Hall, Brighton. Him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. Underneath was Charlotte's poem. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. You see, you can allow God to make your life, your attitude better, or you can remain bitter. And that's a choice that we have. God doesn't force us. But he will empower us to live the kind of life that he wants us to live by his spirit working in us. And if you allow bitterness to grow, man, your walk with God is going to be off. And I realize that's a hard one to swallow, but it's a reality. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 17, listen to what Paul has to say regarding this issue of bitterness. He said, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he had wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. In other words, what Paul is basically saying here is, look, get right with God, guys. He's admonishing us to live at peace with our fellow man, not to let bitterness grow because it will infect those around us. Let the love of God flow from your life and let that infect those around you. You see, you can produce bitter fruit from your life or you can produce wonderful fruit that the Holy Spirit will produce in your life. So stand strong. 
get right. You know, I think winter has just ended here in Wisconsin, right? I don't think spring has started yet, so I'm still waiting. But weeds grow, right? And when you pull them out of the ground, if you don't get the whole root, you're going to be back there pulling that same weed again because it's going to grow back. Because it hasn't been dealt with. It hasn't been completely removed. And I think that's true with bitterness. That root has to be removed or it will spring up again and again and again. And is it easy? No, because we could justify why we're angry, why we're bitter. But boy, when we realize all that God has done for us, when we put that cross right in the middle, it changes everything. A little while back, there was a person who I know on Facebook who loved to post how he was walking with the Lord and how many, most other Christians aren't walking with the Lord. They weren't on fire like he was. And then he slammed everyone else for not doing what he was doing. He was bitter, and he let that bitterness grow so much that people were unfriending him. And then he complained because no one was responding to the posts that he put. Well, because they all unfriended him, that's why. And the problem here was he wasn't walking with God. There was this bitterness, anger that got in the way. Remember, the Lord is our shepherd. He doesn't drive us like cattle. He leads us like sheep. So we need to follow him. And if we're beating people, then we're not following the Lord. I'm not saying you can't correct people, but if you are beating them and putting them down, something's wrong. In fact, John tells us in 1 John 2, verses 9 and 11, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You see, our practice needs to match our position. And the example that Paul shows them back in Hebrews is that of Esau who sold his birthright for a morsel of food. Why? To satisfy his bodily appetite. And many Christians do the same by selling their birthright of intimacy with God for the temporary satisfying their body appetite, what pleases them instead of the Lord, their rights instead of what God desires. Now, this term bitterness, one writer says it's just animosity, anger, harshness. Uh, Meyer defines the word as a bitter, malignant, and hostile disposition. It, it is. It's a hostile disposition and a poisonous frame of mind, and it causes people to brood and scowl and become repulsive. And, you know, sometimes people do things to us that are very intentional. You know, they know how to push our buttons. Sometimes it's unintentional. But the thing is, does it matter? Or can we bring it before God? 
You know, I'm not saying that we bring it before God, Lord, just smash this guy to pieces for what he did to me. That's kind of the wrong attitude. Lord, change my heart. Lord, is there something in me that I'm missing that I need to change? Help me not to become bitter and angry. This person needs the love of God. And let's face it, I mean, look at this world today. It's full of people who haven't dealt with old hurts. And it keeps growing and growing. They become more bitter and angry. And for us, you know, we could say, look, I have a right to be bitter. Do we really have the right to be bitter towards people, towards situations we find ourselves in? I think we pretty much would say, no, we don't. But in our heart, what do we say? And that's a tough one. You know, Paul in Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 32 said, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. With all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You know, Paul lists what should be removed from our lives, and then he tells us what it should be replaced with. On the top of the list, bitterness. Wow. Smoldering resentment is the idea. You know, it keeps building and building inside of you. It makes you sour and unloving. You know, you ever, Facebook is kind of fun because you get all these different posts, but, you know, seeing a, a, a baby uh, sucking on a lemon and the face they make, right? It's kind of funny. But it's not funny when we make that kind of face because we have allowed bitterness to grow so much in our lives. And again, over and over in the scriptures, we see this word being used that it must mean that God knows us pretty well and we can allow that bitterness to grow and it's not a good thing. Many of us, have heard, if we went to college at all and had to take uh, psychology classes, we know of Sigmund Freud. He died at the age of 83. And here was a guy who was trying to help people, right? And he died a bitter and disillusioned man. One of the most influential thinkers of our time had little compassion for the common person. Isn't that the people he's trying to help? He wrote in 1918, I have found little that is good about human beings on the whole. In my experience, most of them are trash, no matter whether they publicly subscribe to this or that ethical doctrine or to none at all. And this guy died friendless and his end was bitter. Man, I don't want to die like that, do you? Not after what God has done for me. But that's what bitterness can do if we, put, if we don't put it out of our lives. If we don't get, you know, crucify that flesh. Well, from bitterness he goes to wrath. And it's a Greek word, thumos. And it carries with the idea of responding in wild rage. 
Now, it's, I guess for an illustration, it's kind of like straw bur- that's on fire. It burns up very quickly, but the destruction left behind is very great. And then he speaks of anger, orge in the Greek. And this is more of an internal feeling and reflects a long-standing, continual anger. Something you can't let go, but it keeps building and building. You know, during the playoffs in basketball many years ago, the Knicks and Bullets were playing. For some reason, we don't really know why, one of the Bullets players came up from behind and punched Walt Frazier right in the face. you got to be, I mean, Walt is a big dude, right? And... Did he have the right to be angry? Yeah. But that's, he didn't get angry, he didn't get mad, he didn't retaliate. What he did was call for the ball. He put in seven shots and won the game. He didn't let anger control his actions. And I think that's important for us. We're not, we are to put anger out of our lives, not let it control us. Then Paul speaks of clamor or loud quarreling. It's a loss of control that results in a public outburst of emotion. It's just letting everyone know what your grievance is. You know, before I got saved, oh my gosh. You know, for the most part, I was pretty calm, but there was a point where someone would push me and that would be it. When my wife and I were dating, we were living out in Arizona, and I was on a couple different softball teams out there. And being Italian and living out in Arizona where it's really sunny, not like here, and it's really warm, not like here, I would get very tan. And I would look Spanish. So people would come up to me and start speaking in Spanish. I had no idea what they were saying. And during this one game, this guy, I was on first base. He was the first baseman. And he said something to me in Spanish. I had no idea what he was saying. So my friend told me. And he was saying something about my girlfriend at that time, Julie. Well, you know, you see my massive size? It's pretty impressive. When you're short like me, you're a little guy, and probably then I would weigh 120 pounds. Not too impressive. You just look crazy, and it scares people. I took this guy who was much bigger than me, and I put him up against the fence. Was I crazy or what? Yeah. You know, I'm so thankful for the Lord because he's changed that in me. You know, he has given me a different perspective of things. And it's so easy to, you know, snap at people and react. God wants us to love. Then Paul talks about evil speaking and it's blasphemy or ongoing bitterness that rises in the heart and has defamed another person. And if you don't deal with these things, the last one is malice. All kinds of evil, vicious character that that is produced from the above fruits. If you don't deal with those things, if you don't put them off, they'll consume your life. And that's what Paul talks about. We've got to put away these things, remove them. How do we do it? You put the cross in the middle of your life. You put Jesus right in the center. Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to say? Do you see how important that is? 
Instead of having a life that is characterized by being unkind or hard-hearted, unforgiving and unloving, we need to be the exact opposite. Kind to one another. Love in action. Isn't that what we see with our Lord? Absolutely. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's a pretty amazing verse if you think about it. Because we weren't very good people. In fact, we were sinners when Christ died for us. And here's the thing. God forgave me, he forgave you of all your sins. Did you ever think about that? I mean, I'm not trying to encourage you to keep a record. Because the reality is, if you've come to Christ, there is no record anymore. So don't keep it. The Lord paid for those sins. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter, be holy, for I am holy the Lord is saying. Live the kind of life that would honor me. Live the kind of life that I have lived. And the key, in Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The picture here is Jesus is on the cross being crucified for what? For doing good. Not for doing anything wrong. He had every right to be angry and bitter. He could have said, Father, toast these guys. Send the angels down. Wipe them out. But that's not what he said. He said, Father, forgive them. That humbles me. You know, sometimes on the road it's tough, right? And I have to remember, look, I may get to my destination 3.5 seconds later than I want. Is it that big of a deal? And for many it is. Got to let that go. You know, in Colossians, if you want to turn there for a second, Colossians chapter 3, listen to what Paul says. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Where Paul said this, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do in all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wow. That is what should be flowing from our lives as Christians. Those old garments have been taken off. Those filthy garments we've put on Christ. That's the new man. Filled with love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. And by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
That's pretty impressive there. You see, it's not how big of a King James Bible you have. It's not the Christian t-shirts that you have. Do you have love? Because this love is different than any love we see in the world. What the world sees today I call a Hollywood love. I'll love because I'm getting something in return here. I love because it satisfies me. But when you're done satisfying me, I don't love you anymore. That's not the kind of love that is being spoken of. Jesus is talking about agape love, unconditional love. That we love people no matter what. You know, I'm telling you, as Christians, we have one of the greatest opportunities in all of Christianity in these days that we're living in. Think about it. We may be the generation that closes out the church age. And it's getting very dark. And we see all the wickedness and immorality. And what happens many times is we see Christians getting mad at this group. It's, you know, the liberals. It's the socialists. It's, you know, the transgender. It's this group. It's that group. And we start picking on all these different groups and we're getting mad. But you realize that they're only acting in the nature that they have. And we were all there. You see, apart from Christ, they're in trouble. And you could read Romans in Romans chapter 1, that as they turn from God, God will give them over to these things. And the only solution is Jesus. So if we hate them and we're fighting against them and we're mad at them, how are they going to come to Christ? You see, they need to see the love of Christ in us. It doesn't mean we condone their behavior. It doesn't mean we don't stand up for what's right. But we show the love of Christ to this world that doesn't know the Lord. Love, not bitterness. Being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Wow, that's a tough one. And you can't do that on your own because the flesh doesn't let us. But as we surrender to God and ask the Holy Spirit to work in us, we can live those kind of lives that would reflect the nature of God. So again, this lost and dying world. And again, it's difficult, but when you realize what Christ has done for us, then he says, okay, you forgive now. You forgive like I forgave. Wow, that's a heavy one, man. Spurgeon said, if anyone here who is a Christian finds a difficulty in forgiveness, I am going to give him three words which will help him wonderfully. I would put them into the good man's mouth. I gave them to you just now and prayed you to get the sweetness of them. Here they are again, for Christ's sake. Cannot you forgive an offender on that ground? Exactly. Don't let self get in the way. Forgive as Christ forgave. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's always the key. You know, in marriage relationships, when there's problems in a marriage relationship, it's because someone or both parties aren't walking with the Lord. And I always look at a marriage relationship as a triangle. God's at the top, husband, wife, at the corners. And when you're at the corners, look, you're far apart from each other. But what happens as you draw closer to God? Oh, you come closer to each other. Exactly. 
That's what we need to do. Surrender to God. Walk in the spirit, Paul said. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Otherwise, wow, it, it, it gets ugly. And if you really want a good definition of this agape love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long in his kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. He goes on to say, and now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Absolutely. Notice that there's no anger, bitterness, hatred. There's love. It's not self-seeking, it's other-seeking. We need to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Be the umpire of our life, you might say. And we can't go by our feelings. Because if you think about it, have you ever been wrong? I just feel this is right. You know, I think it was 1985 when the Chicago Bears won the Super Bowl. I'm a Chicago Bears fan, sorry. No booze. And every year after that, I felt they were going to win. I was lucky if they made it to the playoffs, right? My feelings were wrong. But when I bring everything in the light of God's word, enlightened, opened up to me by the Holy Spirit, God is never wrong. I may not like it. That's usually the problem. What do you mean I got to forgive? What do you mean I can't be bitter? I'm pretty angry right now. Why can't I be? God shows me many reasons why. And I need to listen. I need to obey. Why? Because it's what's best for my life. See, God's not just doing it to ruin my fun. He's doing it because it's what's best for me. And it will minister to others when they see that love. The love of Christ in my life. We need to have the word of God abundantly fill our lives. And I'll tell you what, when you do, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance those things that you need to do and those things that you shouldn't be doing. And we then will be able to minister to others according to the word of God. You see, as Paul said, you know, whatever we do, whatever we say, we're doing it unto the Lord. And I think, you know, if anything, that's another important verse when we realize everything we do and say we're doing unto the Lord. It's not like he's not with us. And I think if we take a step back before we say anything or do anything, the Lord will bring to remembrance what we need to do. Sometimes we act out of emotion, and that's usually not a good thing. We need to react according to the Lord. That's the best thing. One verse here, again, I want to look at one more, in Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen, and it says this, Indeed, it was for my own peace that I, had, that I had great bitterness, 
but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. You know what? Where was he headed with this bitterness that he had? To destruction. His, his life was filled with bitterness. The sin of bitterness was consuming him. And what delivered him from that bitterness? The love of God that King Hezekiah saw and he was willing to let that bitterness go and have God reign in his life. We need to let bitterness go. We need to forgive as Christ has forgiven us because harboring bitterness in our life over a situation is going to destroy us. It'll destroy our witness. And I love, you know, that God brings times of refreshing in our life unless we're going to continue in that bitterness. We'll be dry and barren. Again, in Exodus fifteen twenty seven. After those waters were healed, those bitter waters were healed by putting the cross in the middle, it then says in verse 27, then they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. After the bitterness came times of refreshing as they moved from bitterness to a sweet life, and it was the Lord who brought that to their own lives, that refreshing and I realize it can be hard, but I'll just share this story with you because it kind of puts into perspective what God can do. It's a story about Bruce Goodwich, Goodrich. He was being initiated into cadet corps at Texas A&M University. And one night, several years ago, he was forced to run until he dropped and he never got up. He died before he even entered college. A short time after the tragedy, Bruce's father wrote this letter to the administration faculty, student body, and the Corps of Cadets. And this is what he wrote. I would like to take this opportunity to express the appreciation of my family for the great outpouring of concern and sympathy from Texas A&M University and the college community over the loss of our son, Bruce. We were deeply touched by the tribute paid to him in the battalion. We were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did, did not go unnoticed during his brief time on the campus. Mr. Goodwich went on, I hope it will be the same comfort to know that we harbor no ill will in the, in the matter. We know our God makes no mistakes. Bruce had an appointment with his Lord and is now secure in his celestial home. When the question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one, will, one answer will be, so that many will consider where they will spend eternity. That is not something that comes from the flesh, guys. It comes from the Spirit of God working in a person's heart, that forgiveness, not to be bitter and angry. I mean, I can't imagine that happening to my, one of my sons. The anger I would feel until I was able to surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, change my heart. You know, the cure for bitterness is applying the cross of Jesus Christ right in the middle of the situation. As he's forgiven all my sins, can I forgive others? That's what we need to remember. And allow his love to flow in us and through us. To have that sweet life. Instead of bitterness in the flesh, let's be better in Christ. Amen.
Let's pray. Oh, Father, a tough message. But Lord, as the songs we sang tonight were so fitting to the message, and you work those details out, and we're so thankful for that, that you're working in us, Lord, that the work you've begun you'll complete. And we're so thankful for that. And Lord, if there's those issues within our heart, and you know, Lord, Reveal them to us so that we can give them to you because we don't want that root of bitterness to grow and become part of our lives and make us sour and bitter and angry and hateful and uh, all those other things. Lord, help us to be more like you, to let your love flow not only in us but through us to touch the lives of others. Help us to surrender completely to you. We thank you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Son Bruce. We were deeply touched by the tribute paid to him in the battalion. We were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did, did not go unnoticed during his brief time on the campus. Mr. Goodwich went on, I hope it will be the same comfort to know that we harbor no ill will in the, in the matter. We know our God makes no mistakes. Bruce had an appointment with his Lord and is now secure in his celestial home. When the question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one, will, one answer will be so that many will consider where they will spend eternity. That is not something that comes from the flesh, guys. It comes from the Spirit of God working in a person's heart. That forgiveness, not to be bitter and angry. I mean, I can't imagine that happening to my, one of my sons. The anger I would feel until I was able to surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, change my heart. You know, the cure for bitterness is applying the cross of Jesus Christ right in the middle of the situation. As he's forgiven all my sins, can I forgive others? That's what we need to remember. And allow his love to flow in us and through us. To have that sweet life. Instead of bitterness in the flesh, let's be better in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, a tough message. But Lord, as the songs we sang tonight were so fitting to the message, and you work those details out, and we're so thankful for that, that you're working in us, Lord, that the work you've begun you'll complete. And we're so thankful for that. And Lord, if there's those issues within our heart, and you know, Lord, Reveal them to us so that we can give them to you because we don't want that root of bitterness to grow and become part of our lives and make us sour and bitter and angry and hateful and uh, all those other things. Lord, help us to be more like you, to let your love flow not only in us but through us to touch the lives of others. Help us to surrender completely to you. We thank you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.